every time I enjoy doing this so much, so thank you. I don't know, it's something invigorating, no matter how tired you are or what you have going on or whatever, when you have an opportunity to just, I don't know, do what you feel like God's called you to do, it's, it invigorates you. And, and, it, and it's not always just about whether you're called to preach, it's, it's no matter what the gifting is in you, if you wonder what it is, it's that thing that no matter how tired you are, you're willing to do it. It's the truth. And all of a sudden you can just feel, you feel invigorated. When you encourage someone else, you feel encouraged. It's truly a, a powerful connection that we can have with the Lord. But the, uh, what I wanted to talk about today is the power and freedom of salvation. Now you say, look, we know this story, Angela. Come on, most of y'all in here, I'm going to assume, you know, y'all know Jesus is Lord and personal Savior. And, and I know some of you watching are going, well, I'm not real sure, but I'm working on it. I appreciate you tuning in. You're in the right direction. That's what I can tell you right now. But as I've been watching television, this time of year in television production always got on my nerves. And the reason for that is several things. It's, it was on the basics, it was always hard to get a day off, right? Because, you know, everybody's in chaos and you got to hurry up and you got to take your vacation or lose it. We were just talking about those kind of things. But then all of a sudden, everybody wants to do the retro show. We're going to look back over the year. We're going to look at all the dumb things people have done, all the silly things we've spent our time with, all the things we thought were crises that turned out to be nothing, and, and those things that just somehow, you know, we go from the, the top ten, you know, good-looking guys to the top ten dumb moments of the year, and we spend all our time looking backwards, getting ready for Happy New Year. Now, I've been to Times Square five or six times. And in uh, one year, the first time I went, I, was, I used to write a lot of music and record music and whatnot, and we were recording in New York. And they said, hey, we want to take you to Times Square. I'd never been before. So I said, okay. So we went. We're right in the middle of all this stuff. And I had one of those hats that you put on that says, Happy New Year, you know, the cardboard hat, right? And so when that thing gets down on your head, there is a suction that begins to take place, right? You and that cardboard are becoming one. Well, somewhere in the middle of all that, that's just back in the day when everybody had metal horns, you know, they're and they're about this long, right? They stopped doing that for probably the reason I'm about to tell you. Somewhere in the middle of Happy New Year, somebody got the idea that, hey, everybody who's been wearing these hats for three hours during a we're gonna hit the top of them because something funny happens when you hit the top of a cardboard top hat when it's stuck to your head. So he goes, pop, and he hits the top, and the hat goes, bang, and explodes, and all the sides go, oh my gosh, now it's like impaled into my forehead, but nonetheless, it was fun. We were counting down, we were looking at the crystal ball, it was coming down, five, four, three, two, one. Everybody cheers, and the crowd that took six hours to gather, in a matter of two minutes, ball drops, yippity-doo, hooray, woo, dispersed. All of a sudden, there's nobody there. There's nothing but the garbage left on the ground. It took, it took hours to get all that revelry built up. And in that moment, I can remember the Lord speaking to my heart. And he said, look, they celebrate newness for a moment. But I celebrate newness every day. So that's the, as we're looking at all these little TV shows, I, the reason I felt like, well, I've, I even struggled with the message because I said, Lord, these people know this. And he's like, no, you need to be reminded of what your future is, reminded that your past is covered, reminded that grace is sufficient all the time, and that we don't need to spend our lives looking in the rearview mirror. We don't need to worry about really what happened outside of being grateful that we survived it in most cases. And then say, all right, Lord, thank you that that same provision is still available. I didn't use it up. It's fresh every day. 
So we want to talk about John 8, 36, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Do you feel free today? Do you feel free? A lot of people I talk to say, you know, it's just this time of year. There's something about it. I feel oppressed. It makes my chest hurt. It gives me a headache. All these things where we build ourselves into a frenzy. And then the frenzy's over. It's fun. We like decorating, doing stuff, plugging in all the blow-up stuff. I call it the, the grand inflation in my backyard. <laughs> and so, so, you know, we, all that stuff is fun. But then now we're in the take it down section of the program, right? And all of a sudden, the, the fun is wore off and the tired's catching up. But who the sun sets free is free indeed. Let's talk a minute about salvation. God gave his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. His blood washes away our sins and frees us for an eternity. He frees us from suffering and condemnation. So you're free. You're going into the next year free. You're going into tomorrow free. You're going into lunch free. You're going into the next second, free. If you've accepted Jesus as Lord and personal Savior, you're free. The condemnation or that, that feeling that you have that is anything other than love, hope, peace, kindness, all those things that are positive, if you're feeling anything other than that, God's got that covered. Let's talk to him about it. Let's give it to him. Let's find out what he has to say and let's start living a little differently because perhaps the condemnation that you're carrying is not intended to be yours. We find it easy sometimes to carry the baggage because it's familiar. It's familiar. We often don't know what to do without it. Seasons, I was talking to somebody just a few minutes ago. We were talking about, hey, when seasons change, it gets comfortable wearing that thick coat and all that stuff. But when spring gets here, there comes a point where you've got to take that garment off. You somehow intuitively know, I don't need this anymore. Living a life with Jesus is very much the same. The garments that we carry, the heavy things that we wear around us, the stuff that we carry with us places, often when the Lord says, I've forgiven you, you've said, Lord, please forgive me. And he says, okay. And then we keep wearing the garment. Lord, forgive me. Okay. You're forgiven. You keep wearing the garment. And all of a sudden it gets heavier and heavier and you go, God, why do I not feel any lighter? And the Lord looks at you and says, look, I've forgiven you. Now you forgive you. I had an old lady tell me once, I said, look, you know, are your standards higher than God's? And I said, well, wow, that's a deep question. No, would be my initial response. And she said, well, if you're not forgiving you and he's forgiven you, then they are. And that's a dangerous spot to be in. We don't want to be there because he set us free. Jesus resurrected, showing us his authority over sin and death. Look, God understood we are complicated, simple people. We argue about everything. Right? Right? So yeah, the yes he did and the no he didn't. Right? So I can imagine, I spent a lot of time writing. I wrote a, uh, one about a show about Barabbas because we don't really have a whole lot of history on him. So I spent a lot of time just writing what, what it, would it be like to have been for, to, hey, you don't need to die. We're going to kill this guy instead. You are totally guilty. We're going to let you go. And he was probably arrogant enough to go celebrate that. Right? So just the thought of maybe him attending that crucifixion out of sheer arrogance that the people liked him. When I began to look at the, the story of all this and how, yeah, the authority over sin and death, God says, look, you know, I can't just have 
the, the curtain split, which, by the way, was like some massive <coughs> three-foot-deep curtain that they say weighed 1,200 pounds or something. It was astronomically huge, heavy curtain that would have been almost impossible to split, but it did. But somebody will explain that away. Well, you know, if they had put three brackets instead of two, that probably would have. That was getting old. That tapestry had been there a while. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? We explain it away, right? And then when, when the, the lightning struck and the earth shook, oh, that's just the environment regulating itself. It probably just needed a little. You know, I told them not to dig that hole over there. Probably shifted. The, do you see what I mean? There's somebody thinking, well, <clears throat> there's an explanation for everything. And then when Jesus got wrapped in that shroud and got taken away, boy, there was some celebrating going on by people who thought he was a heretic. They were like, hot dog, my life just got easier. Don't have to deal with that guy anymore. But they were still worried about it. How funny is it? They put centurion guards by an enormous stone because they were afraid somebody was going to steal the body and then say that he resurrected or disappeared or something happened. So they needed to make sure nobody had that story. God used that. He said, okay, no problem. Stone rolls away. Angels appear. Centurions freak out. They become the testimony of, holy moly. Right? And then when they look in and they realize something is going on, it's freaking them out. Only to discover that Jesus, not only had he risen from the dead, but now he is going to walk among people and talk to them a minute and go, oh yeah, see this right here? Do you think a scar was necessary? God, in a moment, when you pass on, I believe there is that moment where you are made completely whole. In a moment, all injury is gone, all difficulty is, has passed away, and you are every bit whole. But I believe that that little scar was significant. Because God, that's not really you, you just look like him. You're an imposter, you're an impersonator, you kind of look like Jesus. And he says, hey, hey, some intimate knowledge, go ahead, it's all right. Touch it, it's okay. I'm good. God had already thought ahead that we were going to try to talk everybody out of everything. So he said, let me prove it to you. All right? And then, what does he do? He doesn't disappear. He ascends. Hey, everybody, see me? I'm here. I'm alive. I'm good. I am who I said I am. And God is who he said he is. And here we go. And eternity is yours. And all this hateful stuff going on down here, I got it covered. Let me help you. Man, what a production. If, I, if we had to like, make that in, like, to tell, into a television show and, and the, the producers would be going, no, 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 no. It would not make Hallmark. It doesn't have the right ending. <laughs> right? Right? And, and then they say, nobody's going to believe that a stone that big would actually, what did, what did, I don't know, we'll have to change the door configuration, because there's no way a, a, you know, a ton of, would just roll. You know, do you see what I mean? We, well, our logic will talk us out of who God is and, and how it works. So I just wanted to do some reminder things today, because, you know, I'm like Bill Nye, kind of not the science guy, right? 
All right, so if I had to explain what happened that I just told you about, right? So Jesus was walking among us, right? And he was the Messiah. And we know that there was miraculous things that happened. And there was Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus, right? All that story has been told. And Jesus is walking among the people, right? But there's a lot of sin in the world. There's a lot of evil. Let's just face it. Sin is a fancy word for evil. Sin is doing things you shouldn't do. Sin does not leave you feeling good. But as, as people were, were kind of living in this world with sin, they were getting more and more polluted by it. So it's getting harder and harder to tell good from evil. Harder and harder to tell what I should do and what I shouldn't do. Harder and harder to tell how to be kind to one another. Let's look at some of the barbaric things that went on back then. There was some horrible stuff. Crucifying people upside down. All sorts of things. You know, there, there was a, there was a, a sense of, of barbarian nature to, to the whole culture. And it was, you know, look out for yourself. Right? Who else is going to look out for you? Can you imagine that? This is the world without Christ. Yeah, God created the heavens and the earth, but this is the world without that connection to forgiveness or clarity or love. True love. Not love with a motive, but love that just loves you because... So then, Jesus comes into the scene, right? So as Jesus comes into the scene, they say, oh, wait, wait, wait. You think you're the big dog? You think you are, you know, king of king, lord of lords? Yeah, 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 we've heard your stories, son of God. And they mocked him. And they beat him. And they shoved a crown of thorns on his head with the thorns this long. They were doing everything they could to prove to everyone around him, he is just flesh. They wanted his pain and anguish to be visible. That was awful. So then Jesus died on the cross and they said, gotcha. And then in that moment, in, those, in that dark day, Jesus then took authority over sin. And he said, I gotcha. And as sin tried to take over Christ, Christ began to take over sin. We getting there? All right? We're going to fix it. What did I do with my brown bag, buddy? Oh, there it is. Because <clears throat> we can't leave that like that because God is good all the time. Yeah, blue is nice. That's better. But it should be getting clear. And I could have just messed up the whole thing by not mixing it right. You know, I believe it's the water here at this place. All right? <laughs> because we did see earlier that the water was don't drink it here. All right, anyway. There is a change that takes place, right? So we're going to go with this, all right? We know Jesus took over to sin. And then as we invite Jesus into our hearts, those things begin to change also. We become more like him and less like sin. The sin, as sin thinks it's going to take over, Jesus has taken on all the sin. He says, look, I'm going to make you every bit whole, every bit clean. There's nothing you've done that I can't change, that I can't fix. And then as you ask for him to come into your heart, those things begin to change you. Jesus comes into you and says, okay, I want to change you. I want to help you to do better. I want to help you to not make the same mistakes over and over. I don't want you to think about what was going on before the cross. You need to know what I did after the cross. And then we need to have the water tested here because this is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to drink any of the water out of the church. Okay. All, right. Anyway. All right, so we keep going. All right. So what happens after you accept Jesus? What, what exactly happens after you accept Jesus as Lord and personal Savior? The process of sanctification begins. It's the joy of learning how to live free. Do you know the, the word sanctification, if you look it up in any version other than King James, it's not there. And I couldn't figure out why that word got it. It's as the language began to change and as we began to kind of make it a little more relevant, all of a sudden words like this were starting to get lost. But sanctification occurs as a result of salvation. At the moment the Holy Spirit enters our lives, we are no longer held hostage by sin and death. And we're free to live the life God desires for us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. That's in 2 Corinthians. But I really like this explanation. I read this in a book this week. The Holy Spirit enters your life. You are no longer held hostage by sin and death. Hostage. When you're held hostage by something, typically, I mean, we've all seen those movies where the guy gets tied up and thrown in the trunk of the car, right? And he's fighting. He wants to get out. You know, that's why they now put those pull things in the back of every car so you can get out should you ever find yourself trapped in the trunk. Does that not disturb anybody? All right, but anyway, it must happen a lot more than I realized. But nonetheless, uh, that, that you're not hostage to sin and death. But, but if you were stuck in the trunk of a car, you'd be fighting to get out because you don't want to be there. The crazy thing about sin, though, is it wraps you tight. It tries to kind of snuggle up, make you feel like, oh, well, this is okay. It makes me feel good for a moment. Or this is kind of the way I do things, so I'm just going to roll with it. Sometimes we don't realize that we're being held hostage, that there's something better. I, I talk to people all the time, Buddy and I both do our, our share of funerals, and, and uh, I talk to people all the time that don't understand that the reason that you believe in Jesus as Lord and personal Savior is that eternal promise that will be fulfilled when you pass. But it also says, I've not only come to give you life, but life more abundantly. So I know uh, there's a lady I know very well who uh, constantly says, you know, I can't wait to die to be with Jesus. No, 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 no. That's not where we're supposed to be. You don't want to live to die. You want to live far more abundantly than you can think God wants to do for you. He wants to take you to that place where you enjoy this life and do what he's called you to do here so that when you pass... You don't have to worry about, um, well, you know, I, I tell people all the time, if you're saved, tell somebody. Because you don't ever want to do a funeral of somebody when I've been to one or I had to do it where I said, you know, were they saved? And the whole family looks at me and says, I don't know, I hope so. You don't want to live a hope so life. You don't want to leave your family thinking hope so. Even if they don't agree with you, even if they're lost, you let them know, I know so. Because there will come a time when it changes them. It will come a time when the question matters. And it will come a time when that answer is liberating. Because eternity is amazing. We try to compare it to here. Again, we're back to those scenarios of, of you know, how complicated we are. We try to think of our best day here and we kind of apply it there. I think our best day here is our worst day there. 
You know what I'm saying? I think there's so much more that's coming that we cannot fathom, but we've got to faith our way there. Jeremiah reminds us, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. You will seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Do you, do you hear that? For uh, Hey, I've got plans for you. Everybody here, God has a plan for you. And it's not the same plan as it is for me or Buddy or anyone else in this room. It is your plan. And it will be amazing, and it's a set especially for you. God loves you enough to not copy-paste, but to make it unique. It's yours. He knows the plans he has for you. Plans for welfare and not evil. It's not going to destroy you. It is going to elevate you. You may have to step away from a sin you find comfortable to get to where God wants you to go. That's uncomfortable, but I guarantee you the comfort on the other side will far exceed anything you got from over here. He wants to give you future and a hope. Any of you? Want future and hope. I sure do. I want the hope that God can give me. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's asking you, call on me. Scripture says, call on me and I will answer you. It's a guarantee. Call on me. Pray to me. I will hear you. You don't have to question. You don't have to beg. Call. Jesus, help me. He heard me just then. Jesus, help me. He heard me just then. This is not like drama. This is relationship. So if I'm going to, if I, oh, you know, Tanya, pray for me because I don't know what I'm going to preach tomorrow. That's actual text from yesterday. <laughs> so, so, and she answered me. Oh, it'll be fine. Okay. So do you see what I'm saying? So uh, there, there is a, a relationship there that we have with people where we expect response. That same expectation we need to have when we call upon the Lord. Expect response. Here's the challenge. Don't expect the answer you want to hear. When you're doing something and you're all about it and you think this is the best idea ever and you're going, oh, Lord, just tell me to get it done. And you hear him say, stop. Then stop. Yikes. Got quiet in here. Okay. So uh, you will seek me and find me. In other words, it won't be a journey in vain. When you seek the Lord, you will always Find him. Seeking, when as a kid we play hide and seek. Right? And we love the game because it's thrilling, the finding of somebody. You know, we still play it now. I play it with teenagers and they love silly stuff. You know, like, you know, they don't think like I do. I'm thinking like psycho. You get in the bathtub, you wait for them to look in the bathroom and, ah! and then you scare them, right? So, so, you know, they don't play old school. I'll mess them up. <laughs> but nonetheless... They, they love the thrill of the hide and the, and the seek. You know, but it says right here, if you seek, you will find me. It's not as though he's trying to hide from you. He's just asking you to seek. He's just asking you to seek. Do you know? Do you remember? Are you willing to seek? Is it fun to seek? No, we've got, we're, we're a lazy culture. We want stuff to come to us. Hey, when we Google something, I was laughing with somebody the other day. We were looking at research on Google Analytics, and they were like, oh, well, you know, such and such is showing up on page three. I said, well, you may as well be on page 100 because nobody clicks to page two. Do you ever look at the second page of what you search for? 
You know, when you type in Google and it brings up a list, right? You know, no. Yeah, it'll give you like 12 things. Okay, well, all right, well, it must be this one because he made a page, right? What I'm getting at is when you, when you seek and you find, you will find that God is in a, in a place where you need to be and in a place where he wants to help you and he wants to take you to somewhere new and it may not even be somewhere you considered yet. It may be that dream that you put aside when you were younger and you said that will never happen because life went in a different direction. This or that happened. I'm derailed. That has passed. And then God, as his loving Heavenly Father, says, I remember all of that. It's not lost. Let's go. But you've got to seek. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. In other words, he's not hiding from you. He's not like me behind a shower curtain or, you know, any of those weird places that I hide at home. All right. Sanctification is the process of God's grace helping us release our sinful ways as we become dedicated to God's righteousness through relationship with him. Mouthful to say, as you press in to learning more about God, as you press into seeking him, that is actually the process of sanctification. Because the more you seek him, the less you seek sin. Uh, there's a Greek word for sanctification. It's that one. <laughs> All right. uh, it means... <laughs> It means separation or setting apart. Have you ever said to somebody, oh, well, they'll be here a little later. I'm going to save this for them. And you set, set something apart, right? It's set apart. A Hebrew word is quadash, and that means to make or pronounce or observe clean. So, therefore, that means that sanctification in its original definition is the act of God pronouncing us set apart and clean as his sight. So though you may see yourself as fallible, you see yourself as sinful, you see you know intimately all the things you think and have done, God says, I forgive you, I'm going to make you every bit clean, and I'm going to set you apart because I have something special for you. Do you feel set apart? Do you feel clean? Because when you say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me for the sins I've committed, the reason God made it that simple, I was thinking about it this morning. God, we are so complicated. We like to go to races where we win medals. We climb mountains where we plant flags. We will cross oceans as long as the press is following us and they can see us swim with the sharks and do all sorts of stupid things so that we make the news. We have to accomplish things. But the most important thing was so easy. And then God, I felt he spoke to my heart this morning. He said, Angela, if I'd have made it, hey, you do these 10 things and then you plant a flag here and you're forgiven. He said it would have become a competition of pride of who gets there first and how big the flag was when it was planted and how fast they got there. He said, but it's not about you. It's about me. I've already done it all. There's nothing you need to do. And that's the hardest thing for us is to do nothing. That's the hardest thing, to ask God to forgive us and then stop. Stop worrying, stop fretting, stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to figure out how you're going to do it different. Now we go from forgive to seek. God, what do you want me to do next? Then we go from seek to listen. 
Then we go back to, please forgive me, because sometimes we seek and we listen and we don't hear exactly the way God said to do it. We do it our own way because we like our way better. Let's face it, we all do that. We hear God sometimes say, turn left, and then we turn right, and then we get a flat tire right away. It's one of those things, and you're like, ah. Oh. God was trying to, trying to give you direction, but we, oh, it's shorter that way, or oh, I always go that way, or I need it. And God is trying to protect you and help you. He's trying to be that still, small voice of direction. You've got to have the courage to listen. Life is exciting when you listen. Buddy, I hope you don't mind me bringing this up, but it was funny to me yesterday. I was stressing out yesterday morning because I didn't know. I, when I went by Park Lawn, there was like five different little tents up yesterday. And I was like, I don't know which one it is. And I'm not sure where to go. So I decided, well, I'll just go a little early to make sure I know where I need to be. And as I, uh, as I pulled out, um, the Lord said, go wash your car. And I said, God, I don't have time to wash. You know I really love to wash my car, but I don't have time to wash my car. I need to go wash your car. I was like, all right, God's just trying to tell me to calm down. I'm going to go sit in the car wash, watch the colorful bubbles, right? So we're good. <laughs> so I went to the car wash, and as I pulled out, just as I pulled out, right in the back of Miss Ruthie going to Park Lawn. I knew right where to go. I, don't, I know that sounds odd, but me, me and Clayton Rollins went straight to Park Lawn. And uh, because it was like the Lord was saying, would you quit worrying about this stuff? Even the simplest of directions, I've got you. Relax. And along the way, not only will I provide what you need, I'll help you with some things that are the desire of your heart. I'll give you some pleasurable opportunities along the way. This is not all work. This sometimes is fun. Often it's fun. It is really fun to hear and seek and then hear God tell you to do something and then you do it. And then what the blowback on that sometimes is just an amazing peace and joy that you would have otherwise never experienced. So it's not all just this hard, trudging work of, oh, I've got to seek the Lord. No, it, it's actually, it's actually a, a relationship that you can grow to enjoy because, see, God is not there to condemn you. He's here to save you. Amen. So it, we condemn ourselves far more than he does. Don't get me wrong, there's a heaven and a hell and a choice must be made. Yes. But when the choice is made and you've accepted Jesus as Lord and personal Savior, your eternity is secure, right? So let's check that off the worry list, all right? We don't need to worry about that anymore. Now as we're seeking, God says, look, I love you. I care for you. I'm not here to, to throw you under the bus. I'm here to save you from the bus. I want to help you do bigger and better things. So why is it that we work so hard to fit in when we're called to set apart? I, I mean, I'm, I'm genuine in this. I don't know why. We all, I, I, at least once a week, I talk to somebody who's like, I just don't fit. Okay, that's awesome. Where do you fit? With Jesus. God has got a place for you. He's got something special for you to do. There's a reason that you don't fit. That doesn't mean that you don't go to church and you don't get around other people. That's not what I'm saying. You know that part of you that says, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And often it's different things. It may, it may be different relationships. It may be different jobs. It may just be the way you're living life. It may just need to change into a little bit more of a hopeful scheme. But why do we work so hard to fit in when God has called us to be set apart, set unto him? The effects of living in a sin-filled world has harmed everybody differently. We all face different issues. We struggle with sin. Our past hurts of varying degrees, hindering our ability to live the life God desires for us. We settle with, it is what it is. 
when God really wants it to be what it isn't. How many of us have said it is what it is? But God wants it to be what it isn't. Oops. Once the Holy Spirit enters our life, we begin to see more clearly the areas that need to change so that we grow in our relationship with God. As we begin to view the world and people and personal difficulties from a more biblical perspective, our choices begin to change and become motivated by love and truth and not our selfishness. The more we seek God, the more we understand his character and nature, the more we try to be like his character and nature, the less we act like ourselves, which trust me is a good thing, and then all of a sudden we're able to add some grace to situations that we could not add grace to without him. Does that sound too complicated? Did I go too far? You got it? So the more time we spend with the Lord, the more we seek him, the more we understand him, the more in relationship we are with him, the stronger we become in who we are in him. And it kind of takes some of that flesh reaction out of how we live our lives. All of a sudden, we get along with people better, all sorts of things. All right, Dana, I'll throw you under the bus since my last experiment really didn't go all that well, but you get my point. Huh? Hey! <laughs> it's all good. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> all right, so. No hammers. No, we've moved up. <laughs> Here, you, you can light the candle. There you go. That, so that way I had nothing to do with it. All right. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're, we're going to hope that this is all good. All right, so, <clears throat> well, you, you're not done. Here, I'll, I'll take that. Here, here, you can have this now. <laughs> so you might want to hold it right there. Yeah, and you might want to stick your arm out like that. <laughs> Tell me when. All right, just hold it right, oh, right there. All right, so <laughs> without Jesus, we are really full of ourselves, aren't we? Do you all know anybody that's full of themselves? And see, sin has this way of attracting people. It looks like it's just this beautiful thing. And then people that are full of themselves say, well, I can get away with anything. I can do anything. And then all of a sudden, the closer they get to it, <laughs> the closer they get to it, all of a sudden, life takes on a different, ah. Oh. And there you go. Well, you're not done yet. And there you go. There's, they, they thought they had it all, and they, all of a sudden, it was all-consuming. And this is typically where people call me at 2 o'clock in the morning, right here. Where they say, you know, I thought I had it figured out. This is what I wanted to do. I had this, I had that. They tell me their plans for an hour, and then I say, what happened? Didn't work out like I thought. I need Jesus to help me because I'm, I'm at that point. I'm at that breaking point. And, I, and I'm going to go right out and say it. Sometimes I'll get that call that says, look, I've got the gun in my I had a guy call me one night. I've got my service revolver in my hand. I can't do it anymore. That was a long, intense conversation that resulted in this. Jesus changes things. You think you got it together, you don't. Here you go. <laughs> Please light the candle. <laughs> so we'll see. This is, this is different. And I'm relatively confident, but I don't want to mess up the church. So, all right. So we got the... Now, once we've accepted... Jesus is Lord and personal Savior. What's inside of us changes. Sin is still sin. 
Sin is still trying its best to be beautiful and enticing, but you've changed a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you might want to. So that that as uh, you come in contact with sin every day, and as you come in contact with people who are not so nice, and as you have opportunity to be hateful, what's inside you has changed. Your reaction is different. You're not reaching for the revolver. You're not looking for the way out. You're calling on Jesus. You're saying, Lord God, I need you to help me because these people really hurt my feelings. And God says, look, what's in you is greater than what's out there. I've got your back. I've got your insides. I've got your heart. I've got your head. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of your finances. I'll take care of your house. I'll take care of your dog, your cat, whatever it is. It's worrying you. What's on your heart's on my heart. I love you. Sin has no effect on you because you know me. I forgive you. Got anything else we should add to that? Should we add anything else? Anything else y'all worried about? We can put a whole list here. You good? I'm good. All right. So there you go. She was waiting for disaster. (laughs) So true freedom is realizing the power of grace in God and the Holy Spirit to change your heart, your mind, and your life. God wants to change you. And change isn't bad. Change is good. Change is powerful. Change is empowering. It allows you to do things you never thought you'd be able to do. Sanctification, there are four practical steps. Prayer is important. When we're suffering or facing temptations, our mind, our body are weak, and Satan knows about it, and he tries to take advantage of us, and he sends us into those places where you've got to boss your brain, you're thinking awful things. And he says, look, when we pray, we're in spiritual union with God. In other words, the devil can't interrupt you while you're praying. Did you know that? Can't interrupt you. So talk to God. Not only will prayer us in our hardship, but it'll also give us the strength to overcome sin and circumstance. It'll prepare you for what's coming, so you handle it differently. Through prayer, we are also more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The more you get to know, it's almost like my dog barks a certain way. So I can be three doors down, and I know it's my dog barking, right? You know what I'm saying? You've come to recognize the strangest of things. And the, the Holy Spirit voice, God's speaking to you, it's very similar. As you spend time in prayer, as you, in your time of prayer, you spend time, less time of this, and more time with this, you begin to hear that still small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And then as you react and act to what you're hearing, and you see the fruit of you acting out what he told you to do, you begin to understand, that was the Lord talking to me. Oh, that was me. That was God. Oh, that was me. You see what I mean? You start to be able to, to parse that out. All right. The, the second practical step is God has always given us the written word. Uh, he's also given that the, the Bible. The Bible is not merely a history book, but it's words that have power to sanctify us, to change us, to, to deliver us, to educate us, to, to bring us peace. Uh, when Satan tried to tempt Jesus in Matthew, Jesus used the word of God to overcome temptation. And he answered and he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I think it's really important that the way Jesus spoke to, the, to Satan was with the word of God. Because had he spoken and said, nah, 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 yeah, go ahead, give it a try. I don't blame it. I, you don't know who my daddy is. I mean, you see what I'm saying? Had there been a smack talk instead of God talk, there would have been an interruption. But he was very cognizant to only speak the word of God. 
And that's where we have to be. When we, when we get to that place where we really feel there's an attack coming, we've got to use scripture. You know, when I go to the airport and I, I check in, uh, they, they always ask me, what's your confirmation number? And then they type forever. Have you ever noticed that? And you check in, and they get really concerned. Oh, here you are. I mean, they, they wait for you to like, feel this anxiety, you know? And, and by the time your anxiety is about right here, they go, oh, here it is, no problem, got you right here. But you have a, have a confirmation number. I want to encourage each one of you that you've got a whole book of confirmation numbers. My confirmation number, Jeremiah 33.3. Call on me, I'll answer you, show you great mighty things you know not. That one is a go-to. What's your confirmation number? Know who you know and have some confirmation numbers handy. So when the devil tells you that you're not, you can say, oh, I, 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 I got my confirmation number. All right, uh, practical steps. God's word has also got the power to transform your mind. It will convict and bring to light the, the darkness that's in our hearts. Because let's face it, we have to ask for God to forgive us from our sins on a daily basis. There are things we think and say and do. It is an instrument which God uses to develop in us the knowledge of faith and personal relationship with him. He wants to get to know us. He wants you to get to know him. All of which are essential elements of sanctification. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, you can't, you can't fool God. All right? So you get on your knees and you pray and you try to sound all holy. Oh, Lord Jesus. You know, see what I'm saying? And you try to sound the sound. You got to, you know, I really need that Mercedes, you know, right? And God says, look, 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 you need a car. I got you. But, you know, I'm being silly, but, but we think that we can somehow outslick and outmaneuver and manipulate God. You cannot. So go to him honest, because he's going to be honest with you. And just let it out. Whether by studying or listening to teaching or sanctifying the work of God's word, it, it, it is enormous to a believer who recognizes its truth and power. When you understand that there is a scripture that will cover every situation that you are in in your life ever, it changes your perspective of that book. And believers are also sanctified in worship. True, fervent worship is what God desires from his people. When our worship is genuine, it transforms our hearts and brings us into a close union with God. John 4.23 says, But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such worship to him. In other words, do you love him enough to say, Thank you, Jesus? That's worship. Do you love him enough to just take a moment? That's worship. Singing a song, that's worship. Singing with the radio, that's worship. Quiet moment with God, that's worship. I've, I've paddled out to Plum Tree Island on the, you know, you're not supposed to go to Plum Tree Island. I paddled out to a stretch of sand uh, and, and with my kayak. And uh, I just felt like I wanted to have communion. And all I had with me was a really healthy snack of Gatorade and, and potato chips. So. You know, I was thinking, I might dehydrate, but I need my salt, so I'll get it in two places. See, I was being healthy-minded right now, not really. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I felt like, well, Lord, you know, I don't have the right things. And God said, it doesn't matter. It's, this, it's the symbolism of it. If you want to be with me, I want to be with you. Let's have some Gatorade and a chip, shall we? 
And so worship doesn't have to be complicated, but I encourage you to make it personal. You can corporately worship here. That's wonderful. You can do it while you're brushing your teeth. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. But take a minute to do it. It's contagious. All of a sudden, you feel like, wow, okay. The weight of the world is starting to drop off a little bit. You know, I remember my dad would put his earphones on, uh, headphones on, and cut the grass with a riding lawnmower, right? So he couldn't hear anybody, even if it was like, there's a tree! You know, he couldn't hear me. I'd have to run out in front and stop. But, um, uh, but he would, I would go out there, and he'd be singing hymns really loud, riding his grass cutter, uh, because he, he was having a great time on his lawnmower. wasn't cognizant that the whole neighborhood could hear him singing, because he was trying to hear himself, which was praise the Lord, hallelujah. But that's where he was finding Jesus, was he was... At peace on his lawnmower, riding around the yard. What I'm trying to say is don't complicate it. Wherever you are, let him be there with you. We're all different. Okay? We're all full of varying degrees of grace and hot air. All right? All right? We're all different. It's okay. There's plenty of us, and we're all called to do something different. We're all called to go in different directions. It's, all, it's a perilous journey. But Paul puts it in Thessalonians like this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. In other words, can he, may he change you completely to be more like him. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's calling us to go higher, go deeper, go further with God. We need to rise. We need to have the revelation that God loves us. We need to accept, if you haven't accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, accept that invitation. And then we need to understand that salvation is permanent. It's eternity. And that eternity is a blessed assurance of God's love for you. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. As we go into a happy new year, Psalms reminds us, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he will act. If there's something you're lacking, something you're wanting, something that's the desire of your heart, take it to God. Take it to God. He will find a way if it's his will, and if it is not his will, he will help you see and understand what his will is for you, and you'll be happier for it. And then in 2 Corinthians, it's telling us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And the new has come. Celebrate real newness now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you love us, that you care for us, that God, you want desperately to touch our hearts and to get to know us and to be in relationship with us. So Lord, I pray right now, anyone, Father, who's listening and says, you know, I've never prayed that prayer for Jesus to come into my heart. Right now, it is really that simple. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Please come into my heart. I make you my Lord and personal Savior. And like I said before, Lord God, I pray that you would help all of these people here to celebrate newness in a new way, that you would help everyone who's listening to understand that real newness happens every morning. Your word says your, joy, your grace is new every morning, that your joy is sufficient, that you will restore our joy, you'll renew our spirit, you'll help us, Lord God, to have hope and your word, the original Hebrew hope, was confident expectation. It was not a question mark. It was a definite. So God, I pray over everyone here, a hope that exceeds any grief, a hope that exceeds any fear, a hope that exceeds any rejection. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord God, for taking such good care of us. 
Help us to hear your voice and follow your directions. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>